I'm going to um, talk this morning from the book of Galatians. So if you need a little bit of time to find that in your Bible, go for it. You can start looking that up. Galatians, we'll read that together shortly. While you're finding that though, I'm just reflecting a little bit on um, the week coming up in front of us, Anzac Day, we will celebrate as a nation this week. And um, I always like to stop and think, the longer it's been since our nation has been um, directly embroiled in war, one of the things that occurs is that countries, cultures and societies can start to forget. And Anzac Day exists, so we don't. But personally, I've never had to stare across a field knowing that somewhere out there is someone who is willing to kill me. I've never had to face that. I've never faced the horrors of war. Never been asked to make the ultimate sacrifice for somebody else's freedom. But others have, haven't they? This week our nation will pause and we will remember the sacrifice of a tragic number of those who have sacrificed for all of our freedoms. And we'll pause not only to remember those who have given that sacrifice in that way, but we will pause to give thanks to those who continue to volunteer today to be ready to make that sacrifice again should we ever need them to. It was just weeks after the onset of World War I as he sat on the cliffs above Cornwall looking across the ocean, a man by the name of Robert Lawrence Binion wrote his heartache down in a seven stanza poem. We really only know the fourth stanza of that poem. And in a couple of days' time, you're going to hear it echoing across the dawn. Let me read the poem from its beginning, though. With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children, England mourns for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill, death august and royal sings sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation. And a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn at the going down of the sun and in the morning 
we will remember them. The price for our freedom was higher than anyone could have known. And unfortunately, though it won a war, history has proven their sacrifice was not enough. Because within a generation of the war to end all wars, our nations were embroiled in bitter combat once again, weren't they? World War I soon became World War II. And ever since, humanity has ebbed and froed in continuous frictions and factions that invariably spill over into war and we have those amongst us who have seen the effect of that. Jeff shortly will be there helping rebuild. Others in this room right now have also seen that devastation. And the question came to my mind, how much sacrifice will be enough? How much? How many lives must be thrown to the lions, right, to placate their hunger? And I turn to the, to the Word of God and I read phrases and sentences like this from the book of James. Just listen to it. James chapter 4, verses 1 through to 2. And James gives us an incredible insight into the heart of humanity when he says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. The telling truth of James's insights is that he wasn't talking about world wars. He could have been, but he wasn't. He wasn't even talking about non-Christians. He was talking about the fractured state of the human heart. And that's something that we can all experience. You see, no matter, no matter how much we sacrifice, it will never be enough. Never. Whatever our hearts remain entombed in stone, they will be always hardened to peace. Always. We desperately need God to work a miracle. Through works of power to overcome the problem that exists in the heart. The beautiful passage in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet, Ezekiel 11, verses 19, verse 20, and God says, I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances and practice them. They will be my people and I will be their God. And he gave that prophecy to Ezekiel to tell his people. And it was a day that they looked forward to. Just think back over the last few weeks in the life of our church, even for today. It's been an exciting 
little season for the life of our church, hasn't it? Yeah. Right. A few weeks ago, we had the, the Hohidii Choir share with us on Resurrection Sunday. Last week, we had the Long Riders come in, ride in. It was awesome. That was fun. And, and we've been bursting at the seams a little bit as a church. Like if you got here late, you had to sort of have close fellowship with people <laughs> to find a seat. We've had new families joining us. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Some of you are here for the very first time today even. Some of you have been lurking for a while just to check us out a little bit. I don't blame you. <laughs> you should. Some of you have been here for decades. So I thought I'd take the opportunity today to reinforce who we are as a church. So whether you're new here, or you've been checking us out for a while, even if you have been here since this building didn't exist and it was just the little weatherboard place up on the top corner up there. Remember that, for those of you who were around? This is what we're about. And because of the days that we live in, it's even website official. So you can go to our website. It looks like this. And above our name, it says, in shortened form, we exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in Raymond Terrace and beyond. Make, mature, and multiply. That's why we exist here. Now, I could spend some time breaking down each of those three words. Make, mature, multiply, and I would show how they are each formed by our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That would be a good sermon. Probably a good series, actually. But that's not what I'm going to do this morning. Because even though we 100% pursue that goal, we 100% believe that that's why this church exists here in Raymond Terrace in 2023. We also know that beneath that statement sits a much more fundamental foundation. A truth that is so fundamental to who we are as a church that, and let me be completely candid here, if it were to ever change if it were to ever be otherwise, you can be assured that I would resign from my position and leave this church because we would no longer be a church. So here is what that most fundamental truth is. The truth that I pin my entire life and ministry on. In fact, I would say that it's what I pin my entire hope for this life and the life beyond on. And it's these three sentences... Jesus is enough. The gospel is the whole. Put it on repeat. 
They're the three sentences and the three things that I want to talk about this morning. Now, if you have your Bibles and if you have legs that are able to stand, I would love for you to open your Bible to Galatians and stand with me as we read God's Word. If you can't stand, that's fine. But if you can, we're going to read 10 verses, Galatians chapter 1, the opening 10 verses of this letter that Paul wrote to his friends in Galatia. You found it? I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, and it says this. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from Him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should come to preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. All right, we'll leave it there. Take a seat. Now, that's the passage that I want you just to reflect on for a little while this morning. I think it's a pretty punchy way to open a letter to some old friends. I imagine you sit down to write a letter to some old friends. It always starts out reasonably good. Oh, so good to write to you. I've missed you so much. Paul gets through the preliminary statements. They're not so preliminary. We're going to come back and come and look at close, closely in a moment, but... He soon jumps into, man, I'm, I'm amazed that you guys are turning away from something. Let's just sort of think about what Paul is saying here this morning. It's written by Paul to a, a group of churches. Um, he'd previously had a direct hand in seeing these churches planted. And we use that word planted. It's a bit of an agricultural term. It means Paul was involved in a team of people that went into what we would now call modern-day Turkey, um, the area of ancient Rome called Galatia. And Paul and a small team of people went from city to city preaching the good news of grace found in Jesus Christ alone. That's what he preached. And there were people in each of the cities and towns that heard that message and their hearts turned towards God and they said a little bit what Tracy you reminded us of as you prayed this morning the prayer that you prayed I, I've been in rebellion against you God and I need you in my life please come in and change me and, and city after city and town after town people respond to the message of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ and their hearts were transformed and changed and those people started gathering together into small groups probably in people's lounge rooms they didn't have buildings like this called churches in the first century not at that point in time anyway and they gathered in 
town squares or beside rivers in the open air or in someone's lounge room they had a lounge room big enough and they got together and they did things that looked probably very different to what we do but in essence they're the same they reminded each other of the good news of the gospel their hearts overflowed in songs of praise towards God who had saved them they took probably not rice crackers from Woolies someone baked a loaf of bread probably or fried it up on a hot stone because it was probably unleavened and they tore it up and they took some wine and they remembered the sacrifice of Jesus and someone would open up God's word and they would think and consider for a little while what God was saying to them they were our brothers and sisters in the faith from 2,000 years ago and Paul Paul had been the one who had been there when those churches were first planted like a little seed in the ground that was sprouting up but Paul had to move on to other areas and so he wrote letters back to these early churches to remind them and to help them grow in the faith and we have those letters recorded for us still today and are benefiting through the Holy Spirit by them the first thing that Paul wanted his friends to know the first thing that we need to be reminded of this morning is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Have a look at what he says in verses 1 through 5. It's more than just an introduction. It's more than just a way of him saying, oh, G'day, it's Paul here. Nice to see you all churches in Galatia. Paul weaves into his introduction the very foundation on which the church in Galatia stands, on which Paul stands, on which we stand today in Raymond Terrace. Paul says, I'm an apostle, not by men, not from men. We're going to leave that. That's a theme that he carries on through the rest of this letter, but we'll leave that today. But, but he says, this is how I'm an apostle. By Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. At that phrase I want you just to focus in on for a moment. I'm an apostle by Jesus Christ, he says, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now we have just celebrated in weeks gone by Easter Sunday, the one time in the year that we pause and that our culture, whether they acknowledge Jesus or not, to some degree stops and says Jesus lives. We don't serve a dead saviour. We don't serve a prophet. We don't serve a good teacher or a revolutionary. We don't serve someone who stood for something great and then gave their life for it, died as a sacrifice, died as an example. We don't serve that person. We serve a living saviour, right? Oh, come on. Amen? All right. We serve a living saviour. God raised him from the dead. In this one little statement, right, it is a precious gem among the entire treasure trove of the Bible. We have this beautiful little statement that Paul just sort of almost throws in to his introduction. And yet without it, what are we doing here? If Jesus was still dead... Let's pack up and go home. There are better things to do on a Sunday morning. There are better things to do with your life than play Christian charades if Jesus is dead. 
In fact, elsewhere, Paul says, if Jesus is dead, then we, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we should be pitied more than any other fool who lives on this planet. Because we bought into a lie, a sham. But it is true. Amen. Right? That's it. Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Jesus is enough. And the first reason he's enough is because he's alive. All right, let's keep reading. Paul says, it's not only me writing this letter, all the other brothers who are with me, they're also sending their greetings to you. And he says, I'm writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough because he lives. That's the first thing I want you to know. But the second thing, the underpinning truth and reality of the, the gospel message that we have, the truth about Jesus is this, that through him we find grace and peace with God. And maybe you're thinking, well, is that such a big deal? Peace with God. It is a big deal. Because without Jesus, the Bible, the Bible describes you, it describes me, prior to us knowing Jesus as being at enmity, which is an old word, which just means at war with. We're at war with God. Everything that God is about, everything about his holiness, everything about his righteousness, everything about his goodness, we, in our sinful state, were at war with. We were in opposition to. And even if you were sort of just thinking, well, I don't know, I'm not sure if I was that bad. We didn't even know. That's how bad we were. We didn't even realize just how much we were warring against God. And we couldn't find peace. In fact, for thousands upon years, the Old Testament tells a story of a people who had to try and repeatedly make peace with God. It even finds its way into our cultural statements that we make with each other in this world. You see it in movies. Someone will say to someone who's about to die, it's time for you to make peace with God. How do you do that? If you've been at war with God your entire life, how do you make peace with him? What could we possibly do to make peace with God? And yet, this great gospel message that points to Jesus, Paul is saying, hey, we have grace and peace. Grace to you. That's what we needed. That's what we needed. Not... Not that we could do something to generate peace. We needed a God who would look at us and just say, you need my grace. You need my mercy. You needed the riches of my love. You need my son, Jesus. Because through him, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God. See where the peace came from? Didn't come from us. Didn't say peace from everything that you've done. Didn't say peace because you turned over a new leaf. Didn't say peace because you realized that you could make yourself a better person. It said that your peace has come from God. God was the initiator of peace. Peace 
from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The next statement, verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. We serve a living Savior. Jesus lives. That's the first thing I want you to remember. This message of the gospel is actually built on a God who made peace with us, not us making peace with God. God who made peace with us. How did that happen? How did we experience the grace of God as he makes peace with us? It says that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Jesus is the initiator of our peace. Jesus says, I will give myself for peace. These people can't do it. They'll never be able to do it. So he gives himself for our sin. We who had wronged God, we who had been at war with God, that God turns around and says, I will, I will actually sacrifice everything so that we can have peace. And he gives himself to rescue us, right? That's what it says, doesn't it? Did you realize that? You need rescuing. It wasn't that long ago we had someone who got up and shared a story from this church and they'd seen their family members caught up in a rip, a rip tide, remember? Being sucked out from the, from the beach, drawn out into the ocean. Have any, any of you ever experienced something like that yourself? Yeah. Reuben? Oh, that's right. No, no names, but thanks, Reuben. Well, I did not know. I'm not, that was not a setup. All right, sorry. But if you've, ever been, if you've ever experienced that sense of powerlessness of being drawn out by the power of the ocean, it is a frightening thing. I've, I've been there. And what you don't need is someone standing on the beach going, swim harder. Just swim. If you would just keep your head above water, you'll be better. Try. You're not trying hard enough. We don't need more churches doing that either. We don't need more Christians looking at each other, just going, just try harder. If only you were better. If only you could keep your head above water. Meanwhile, I would guarantee that nearly every single person in this room is exhausted from trying to keep their head above water. We don't need to be told, try harder. We need to be told, you have a rescuer. Right? There is someone who's entered the rip. There's someone who's come out to get you. There's someone who's... There's someone who will die so that you can live. That's what we need to hear. That's what I need to hear. And that person is Jesus. He is enough. He's enough, Paul is saying. We don't need to look look somewhere else. We don't need to find that other great rescue in life. You know, that other great scheme that's going to come along. If I can just get into this, it's going to change my life. Paul says, Jesus is enough. 
The next phrase is that all of this is according to the will of our God and Father. This was God's plan all along. It's why I'm excited for the fact that the kids out there right now are opening up their Bibles, their Explorer Bibles, and they're starting with the story of Abraham and God saying, I'm going to change this world and I'm going to do it through your people. And then that story is going to get traced all the way from the pages of Genesis and we're going to see how it finishes one day. We'll be there. We're going to see how that story finishes. And we'll all be there and Abraham will be there and we'll all be singing, we're one of your many sons. He'll be like, oh, not that song again. I've been hearing that for generations. We're all going to see how the story ends because it's all been part of God's great story of redemption, his great plan for rescue in this world. And it's been there since the garden. In fact, it's been there since before the garden. And it will continue all the way through until we see Jesus one day again. And for an eternity, we're going to continue to talk about it and sing about it and remind each other of it and just look at each other and pinch us. And just, can, you, can you believe that you're here? I still can't believe I'm here. Look at what happened. And we're going to keep saying, look at the lamb. Look at the lamb. He's worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to sing about it for eternity. Right? In this one little statement, five verses long, in a, in a whole bunch of ways, Paul is just saying, listen, Jesus is enough. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm not sure what you're looking for. I know the things that I've looked for in this world. I've known all the dead ends. I've known all the deep places, all the dark places that our minds and hearts can gravitate towards as we are searching and looking for something to fulfill. And I want to say to you this morning, to my own heart this morning, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. The gospel is the whole. The gospel is the whole. This is where Paul pivots from his really friendly introduction, where he really just focuses in on Jesus and just goes, isn't this amazing? Jesus is enough. Look to Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done. And if you're a part of this church, you can expect us to say that in a thousand different ways. But we just talk about one thing. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We all need to keep hearing that. But then he pivots, verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm not sure how your English translation, if you're not reading from the Christian Standard Bible, phrases that. Mine has a little M dash. And Paul says, not that there is another gospel. Right? You've turned your hearts towards another gospel. He says, I'm amazed. And then he just goes, but guess what? There isn't another gospel. There isn't any other good news. There are all sorts of things that our hearts are easily turned towards. Promises and rewards. Ideas that we have about how to improve our life or how to make things better. We've got to be really careful that we're not buying into 
another gospel which is no gospel at all. The gospel is the whole. Verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. This is a strong word, anathema. This is not just, you know, may an anvil fall on your head type of throwaway line that you would hear, you know, in a funny slapstick comedy or something. This, this a curse be on you is, is about a stronger word as Paul could possibly use for someone. May you be separated forever from the grace and love of God. If we buy into, if we preach some other good news that does not point to Jesus, there is no good news in that. We don't need Jesus plus something. Have you noticed how much that's happening in the world at the moment? Not in spiritual things, just in everything else. The apps on your phone... You know, um, your music streaming service. You, you can just get that for free and you go, brilliant. I'm going to listen to my music on YouTube. So I get onto YouTube and I start listening to my favourite playlist and I get about three songs into it and then some turkey comes on trying to sell me life insurance <laughs> or, or some piece of software that's going to completely transform my computer. And I can't even skip it straight away. I've got to listen to him spruik on for a little while. And then it might give me the option to skip. And then I listen to another three songs. And then somebody else gets on there and tries. And this time I think, oh good, I can skip this one. No, now I've got to listen to two ads and I can't skip them. (laughs) Right? I just want to listen to my music. And then a pop-up comes on. Do you want to just listen to music with no interruptions? Yes, yes I do. Then you can subscribe to YouTube Plus or YouTube Professional or YouTube Better or whatever they call it, right? And you think, that's it, I'm not going to listen to YouTube anymore, that's garbage, I'm not paying for that. I'm going to listen to Spotify. Spotify is where I get my music from. I get about three songs in my playlist and I've got to listen to an ad. And if I don't want the ads, I've got to get Spotify Plus or Apple Plus or Messages Plus. And that's the premium, right? That's the premium. If we start doing that with our faith, We're in all sorts of problems. There's no Jesus plus. There's no gospel plus. We get the lot for free. Up front. No strings attached. It all just comes from Jesus and he says you get the lot. Alright? But I know my heart. I know that so often... Can I be so candid to say that there are times where I think that I get bored with Jesus... I start thinking that surely there's got to be something more to this, right? 
So I'm going to start looking for something more. And my tendencies, my heart can start to try and... I start to think that maybe I'm missing out on something or maybe there's something more to this. And, and if I could just get this special thing or this special program or I can just get this special event or... I want to come back this morning, if that's your heart, if your heart's a bit like mine, and tell you Jesus is enough. And the gospel is the whole. You get everything in the gospel. The gospel is good news for the dying. Right? The gospel is good news for the hungry. The gospel is good news for the thirsty. Not because it offers you something up front and then asks you to subscribe to get the whole package. Jesus gives himself in full and he says, I'm enough. And the good news for you is the whole. I'm not leaving anything out of it. So let's not turn to other things. Let's continue to find our fullness and our satisfaction in who Jesus is and the good news that God saves sinners. And the guy that wrote this letter would say, of which I am the chief, the king of the sinners. And God saved me. Jesus is enough. The gospel is the whole. The third one, put it on repeat. That's not from this text. But if we kept on reading Galatians, if we kept on reading Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, it's the same message over and over and over again. Jesus is enough. The gospel is the whole. Put it on repeat. Just keep saying that. And if you're a part of our church, if you have been for a long time, you might just think, wow, gee, we talk about this gospel thing a lot. You bet. If you don't like it, you better get used to it. Because we're just going to keep saying it in a thousand different ways and we're going to say it every week. We're going to get together, whether it's in a service like this, or in a a lunchtime gathering, or a baptism that we're going to celebrate in a few hours' time, and we're going to say, Jesus is enough, the gospel is the whole, let's put it on repeat. All right? That's what we're about. If you're getting bored of that now, you're not going to like heaven. For an eternity, that's what we're going to be listening to. Jesus is enough, the gospel is the whole. Jesus is enough. The gospel is the whole and we will never ever tire of it. We'll never get bored of it. So Raymond Terrace Community Church is about making, maturing and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in Raymond Terrace and beyond. That's what we're about. But we are about that because more fundamentally, more foundationally than that statement is this. Jesus is enough. The gospel is the whole. So let's put it on repeat. We're going to finish. But I don't feel comfortable with the fact that we can just go out and make ourselves a cup of tea now. Maybe talk about, Jeff, 
it's so exciting that you're going to be going to the Ukraine and we're going to go and see the ladies who are getting baptised and we're just going to encourage them. But if we do all of that and there's someone sitting here this morning and they're just sort of wrestling in their own heart, going, I'm not sure that I've ever come to the point where I felt like Jesus was enough, then this is the moment right now for you to put that on repeat in your life. This is the moment where you hit the play button, right? And you say, I want to I wanna join that song. Jesus is enough. And the gospel is the whole. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I've been yearning for. That's what I've been searching for in my life. If that's you right now, then right now is the moment to do that. Tracy gave you an example in her story of a prayer that you could pray. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know what the words were. Right now, there are words inside your own heart that you can share with God. And they will say something like, God, I need you. I've been looking in all the wrong places and I want to find my satisfaction in you. I'm sorry that I've been at war with you and I'm grateful that Jesus is my saviour. If you could say something like that in your heart right now to God, then do it. Maybe you, you feel like you want to do that with somebody else. Then I'm going to sit here. The song's going to pl- play in a moment. Guys, you want to come up and get ready? You can. And as I'm, as I'm standing right there at that front row, if that's you this morning and you want someone to pray with you and you want to... You want that moment in your life. We say this, Jesus is enough and the gospel is the whole and that's how I want to live out the remainder of my life on repeat. Then I want you to come up here and sit on this front row with me and we'll just pray together and celebrate together. But do not walk out that door without realising God has made peace with you. And it's happened through Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you for grace and peace with God. Thank you that you are enough. That this good news of grace, the gospel, is enough. And we want to live that out and repeat for the remainder of our days in all eternity. Amen.